Welcome back, people. It's another episode of the show, and today we are talking with Julia Dean. She's a former religion editor for the Washington Times, where she worked for 14 years, and has uh, she's been in journalism for 40 years and published articles for the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, other publications. She's um, the author of five books, and in particular, uh, this book, In the House of the Serpent Handler. Uh, where she covers a few pastors and how uh, the age of social media has impacted, especially the serpent handling uh, community of Pentecostal Christians. And uh, she, she was nominated three times for Pulitzer prize for just the way she's covered the serpent serpent handling community. And it's a very interesting book. Um, She writes in just a, (laughs) just a great style uh, that's that I really enjoyed and I was fascinated by this book. I mean, one, it has a beautiful cover. But two, the idea of um, the interaction with social media with these kind of on the fringe radical, I don't know if you'd classify them as necessarily ra- pretty radical, these people who are willing to uh, get bitten by snakes because they take the Bible very seriously. So hope you enjoy this interview. Um, it was tough for me. I was nervous. And uh, it's intimidating talking to someone who's very articulate and smart and a journalist. And I'm still trying to figure out how to ask good questions. And, 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 um, so yeah, just be patient with me. I get a little awkward in there probably at a few points, but Julia was very patient with me and, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure how, how this interview was going to go. And and I actually really enjoyed, really enjoyed it. And yeah. So if you want to support the show, you can support the show on Patreon. I don't want to run ads throughout the show or at the beginning of the show or whatever and talk about selling stuff. So you can go to patreon.com slash the show and support the show, uh, make this show happen and continue to happen. Uh, you can also get exclusive content and sneak peek at guests that are coming up and support, uh, sub- submit questions for guests that we're going to have on the show. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Julia Dean. Uh, about serpent handling Christians. Well, thank you so much, Julia, for um, being on the podcast. And, um, you know, I, I saw your book. What, for one, I love I love the cover of your book. And but what really caught me was the tagline of this book. So your book is on. Uh, it's called "In the House of the Serpent Handler," and it covers your time spent with um, serpent handling Pentecostals in the Appalachian Mountains. And but what really caught me was, you know, I I'd seen some books on these types of topics before, but what caught me was. Um, the tagline here, a story of faith and fleeting fame in the age of social media. And I just thought this was so fascinating. The idea of, um, you know, the tension between this, I, I actually, I work for a church. I work for a Catholic church and, um, that's just been my, my career. I've been a youth minister and it's a conversation that plays out a lot. Um, in the Catholic church is this tension between, you know, the, the more traditional minded people. And then the people, the younger crazy kids who want to, Put, take religion to social media. Um, so I was really fascinated by your book. So why, why don't you just, if, if you don't mind, just tell people um, just a quick pitch about uh, the book and yourself a little bit. Okay. The, the, well, it was a book that was kind of by accident. I happened to be teaching college in Tennessee. Okay. 
But it really came from a number of newspaper articles. I, I had done an article for the Washington Post on one serpent handler. Mm-hmm. His name was Mac. And he was out of West Virginia, fascinating man. And that was in the fall of 2011. And then through Mac, we heard of this young guy, 20-year-old pastor, who had also, he had a church. He just started a church in November 2011, somewhere north of Knoxville. Mm -hmm. And what was so interesting with him is that he was posting a lot of his church announcements on Facebook. And none of the serpent handlers I met were real active. They weren't active in Twitter or YouTube or anything, Mm -hmm. but they were really going for it on Facebook. These, of course, were like 20 to 25-year-olds. So naturally, they're on Facebook. Yeah. So I was, I was beyond fascinated because not only was it interesting visiting these folks, which I ended up doing over New Year's Eve, and seeing the, the, the pastor in his church of about 40 people, but, but then kind of following their conversation on Facebook and how all their high school friends were just saying, what are you doing? Who are you nuts? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and seeing how they could basically just slung it back right at them and said, you know, this is what God says. This is what the Word of God says. And we're going to defend it. And, and, and I'd never seen that before. This was new in the history of snake handling. And I mean, there's only about eight or nine books max out on this whole phenomenon. So, yeah. I mean, every 10 years, someone writes another one, kind of <laughs> updates what's going on with each new generation of handlers. But they were doing all this social media stuff. Mind you, it wasn't Twitter. It was all Facebook. Yeah. So that's how I, start, I kind of followed them. And then I took some of for the Wall Street Journal article, I took some of their dialogue from Facebook and, and used it in the article. And my goodness, it got picked up by Drudge. It had 37,000 hits in two days, which is pretty darn good for a religion piece. Yeah. And then one of the handlers ended up... He ended up dying uh, six weeks later. The one from West Virginia. He was he was trying to actually do like a like a evangelistic uh, rally at a at a park in West Virginia, hoping that people would stop by and see them handling snakes and then to hear the gospel. Well, I, I could have told him. I thought that was not the best idea. <laughs> First of all, they were just sitting at a picnic shelter. You know, I would have. You know, heck, if I'd seen a bunch of people with snakes. At a picnic shelter, I mean, I would drive by so fast. Yeah. I, so, anyway, but no, he, they were singing away, and apparently he sat on his snake, kind of to show the mastery of God over Satan, sat on the snake. Well, the snake turned around and bit him. Yeah, kind of makes sense. I mean, not, not a wise idea yeah. to do that. So, yeah, took him about... How long would he? Uh, I'd take him about eight hours to die. I mean, he oh, was bed about, well, let's see, he was bed at about 1 p.m., mm-hmm. and he was gone by about 11. Well, and what's crazy is that they don't, um, these Pentecostals, I mean, they have the idea that um, they just shouldn't have medical treatment, that, that um, right, if right. God wants them to die, they'll die. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that was what kind of, it, yeah, which isn't necessarily. Um, a biblical command at all. It's just a personal decision that if you're really serious and you're following the signs, is they, 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 they call their churches signs following churches. And if you're following the signs, well then, you know, God will protect you. Yeah. And if you get bitten at the wrong time in the wrong place and you die, well then it was your time to go. Problem is, I mean, there's a lot of kind of younger people dying. Yeah. 
or but the two men in my book who die are in their 40s, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. And both of them were handling snakes. That they they weren't new snakes. They were just snakes that they'd had for some time. And and so anyway, I was I I never thought I'd be interested in this stuff. I mean, this is stuff that really no religion reporter covered. They were the wackos, the extremists. Even the Pentec- most Pentecostals want nothing to do with them. Yeah. But as I met them and and started talking to them. I, I mean, I, they were very articulate, smart people, and I, I like them. They dress a bit differently. They dress in kind of a holiness lifestyle, long skirts for the women, long sleeves for the men, and trousers, and and so they're kind of like, very much like the the Kim Davis, who was the Kentucky court clerk, who got so much publicity for refusing to sign same-sex marriage licenses. But they all sort of look a little bit like her, no makeup, and, mm-hmm. and very simply dressed. And they're all, many of them are parts of apostolic or holiness churches. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I just had never heard of this before, and I also noticed that every time I did an article on these people, I sold it to someone. Yeah. I mean, I, was, I, mean, I usually don't get calls from CNN. And anyway, so Mac ended up dying, and the article I did on him was, it went all over the world. It was one of the biggest stories I've ever done in my career. And then I, this job in Tennessee came through, you know, within a week. I've been applying there, and they offered me the job. And so I moved to within 350 miles of Andrew's church, which is not exactly, you know, next door, but at least it's in the same state. And I decided to start going to some of their their meetings, their, what they call their homecomings, their once-a-year big big festivals where each church kind of has lays out a ton of food and has a whole ton of services and everybody shows up from within the serpent handling community. And that's how a lot of these people get to meet each other. They're all handling snakes or sitting in the pews watching other people handle snakes. Wow. Anyway, as I, as I followed them and followed them, I started friend, friending more of these folks on Facebook. And of course they get into enormous arguments with each other and theological arguments. Some of them, believe you should be baptized in Jesus' name only, and others are like Trinity believers. You should believe be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And so big arguments there, and some of them would get rebaptized according to whatever, if they were believing new things about, you know, who should the way they should be baptized. And it was just, they got into bigger arguments about that than serpent handling. And the serpent handling, they all agreed, yes, it was the word of God and they were going to do it. Yeah, and I, I, I just want to say real quick, it, it sound, I think for most people who maybe have just heard, you know, adjacently about serpent handling, they might have uh, ideas of, you know, people way up in the backwoods doing this who, who wouldn't be that argumentative or that... Um, like, like that's that's what I found interesting about this book is how how much of that, like you were saying, this um, rationalism and this and this level headedness about um, a lot of this. A lot, I I guess the word that comes to mind is just a seriousness, not a not a. Um, I mean, obviously it's a seriousness. They're handling snakes, but but just like the seriousness about it that doesn't seem, um, super, right. It doesn't seem superstitious. Right. No, no. Yeah. And all this stuff that people say, like they're in ecstasy. No, they're not in ecstasy at all. Yeah. I, I, I hate it when people say, oh, they're in ecstasy. They're not. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, my goodness. Um, there's just a lot of thoughts about them and that assumptions are just wrong. And yeah. Anyway, I was really fascinated. and I just kept on following them around. <laughs> and they were they were very welcoming to have you, too. 
Yes. Yes, they were. Um, and that was way, thank God, I got in at just the right time. Yeah. Because there were a lot of the older handlers in other churches did not let me in. But Andrew, who is the 20-year-old on the cover, mm-hmm. and he's basically the star of my book. Yeah. He... He was he liked the media, and I did him a big favor. I got him into the Wall Street Journal. That's no small thing. Yeah, yeah. And all, I mean, he would, he put up that Wall Street Journal article on his uh, on the wall of his church. <laughs> I mean, because it really he never did that. Hardly the, he only did that with one other newspaper article. But that Wall Street Journal thing really got him on the map. It got him an offer from a reality show. Yeah, and so it, it was just kind of a fluke. I mean, the photographer and I were there, and I sat on my notes for two months. I thought, ah. Eh, I, oh, I think I'll, maybe I should just, uh, I'll make an article out of this. Maybe I can sell it. <laughs> and sure enough, this particular editor bought it, and well, the rest is history. Wow, that's wild. So so some of your background, I mean, you've you've been a journalist. I mean, you said it uh, somewhere I've read um, that you've been a journalist since high school. And you right. worked for, as the religion editor for the Washington Times for 14 years. You're, you've also been a journalism professor but w- w- was it always religion what how does someone end up deciding that they want to have that particular focus well oh, i certainly got started being what they call a general assignment reporter mm-hmm. but i've been covering most of the most of the papers i've been on needs at least someone to cover religion you know if something happened with someone religious they needed someone who at least knew the language and i did and i started Covering it, I had to put together a religion page every week for the small daily I worked for in Oregon City. Did you grow? Oregon, up, did, you, is, did you grow up religious, or where are you from? Well, oh yeah, oh yeah, I I, I certainly did. I was, I oh, let's see, I grew up in the Episcopal Church. Okay. But then, when I was sixteen, I, I became a born again Christian, and then when I was eighteen, I got involved in the charismatic renewal, and so I I, I kind of knew a lot of this. Stuff. I was very comfortable among Pentecostals and Charismatics. It, some people, some reporters, they can't get past the healing, the praying tongues. and I mean, to me, that was like, oh my goodness. I mean, I first met up with that 30 years ago. I mean, yeah. this is nothing. Because you can tell some of the really nitwits and network TV, they, 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 you can tell the cameras zooming in that certain of these reporters have never been anywhere near folks like this. Yeah. Oh, they pray with people for healings. Oh my gosh, these pray in tongues. And you're thinking, oh, for God's sakes, this has been in the news since the sixties. People get with it. Yeah. And a lot of times I think, uh, cause I went to, um, I went to a Catholic university that, that was, that was heavily influenced by a charismatic renewal within the Catholic church. Um, uh-huh. and so I, you know, I think a lot of times, and there's, it's funny, it's funny seeing the college students who are very, very traditional Latin mass goers and then seeing the, the, the group of, you know, the charismatics and, but it's funny because, um, um, even even myself, I remember being really hesitant to it because whenever I saw anything that was any that was similar, I just thought of like the most fantastic, wild Benny Hinn kind of images like flash through my mind of of these crazy things. But sometimes it it isn't as fantastic. Sometimes it, it is a little more simple, kind of like the the simple but but very serious faith of some of these serpent handling Pentecostals. Yeah, I just want to tell people. I mean, don't don't really don't. Don't write off these people. I mean, like, oh, they're just nutcases who live in Appalachia somewhere. No, they're really, they're not. And and as I got to know them, I, you know, a lot of these folks have been through just really hard times. Yeah. Like one of the lead pastors, he, uh, he had been in the mines, but he got 
he got injured. A lot of these people, I mean, they've spent their life in the coal mines. Wow. He was on disability. Yeah. And, and so, uh, and, and they really, really, I mean, they live out their faith. I mean, he, if he doesn't believe in getting medical help, he won't go. And in fact, one time he got bit on the finger and he just refused to get help and his finger blackened and eventually fell off. I mean, oh, wow. I know, it was, just, it was a little pretty weird, but so what is, you know, he would just tough it out. So what is the history? Of, like, I, I I think you had said in the book, or I'm getting all my research confused, but I think you had said that serpent handling Christians is a, is almost a century-old um, tradition. Yes, George Hensley, who was a Pentecostal, founded it. We think 2009, 2010... Or, what happened is Pentecostalism was barely 10 years old. It was a phenomenon that most decent Christians wanted nothing to do with, but it was spreading like crazy thanks to Azusa Street Revival mm-hmm. in Los Angeles in 19, you know, the early 19 aughts, you might say. And so, uh, anyway, there was a guy called George Hensley, and he, uh, reading the Bible, he felt that Mark 16, 17, and 18, where it says, uh, that you, the same verse that says you you shall uh, you shall heal people, you shall pray in tongues, you shall when you pray for the sick, they on and on. It uses the same sentence formation for and that you'll take up serpents, mm. and the same thing with po- if you drink anything poisonous, it shall not hurt you. I mean, I'm not perfectly quoting the verse, but but what when I would challenge some of these folks, I'd say, guys, okay. Why do you tempt God by just going and picking up a snake? Don't you know the Bible was talking about, you know, if you stumble across a snake like Paul did on Acts, in Acts 28, yeah, it's not, it's not poisonous. I mean, it won't hurt you. Yeah. And so, but you don't go and pick them up and bring them into church and sling them <laughs> Or about. sit on them, yeah. Or sit on them. And they said, well, but look, you know, the Pentecostals have been real good at they adopted parts of those verses, the praying in tongues, the healing, the whatever, but hey, the drinking the the the, the, the drinking and poison and the uh, and the picking up of serpents, um they're not so hot on doing that. Um I mean, why are you guys leaving out part of the verse? Mm, yeah. And we would say, Well, wait a minute, scripture doesn't mandate that you do this stuff. Yeah. Anyway, they would disagree. So if you read the if you read Mark sixteen seventeen and eighteen carefully, you can see what they mean that the, the same construction is being used. Yeah. Anyway, it's a, it's a gospel. They feel it's a gospel truth that needs to be restored to the church, and they're willing to die for it. Yeah, and that, that was one thing in particular. I remember um, one of your lines here. Uh, you you recount how I think Lauren was your photographer who was there, uh-huh. and she uh-huh. was there when Pastor I think Mac I forget his last name. Um, when he, when he, yes, when he, when he died. Yes, when he passed, he, and he called, Lauren calls you, and you have this line in here where you said, you felt the world needed to know about Mac's willingness to die rather than compromise his faith. And I, that kind of struck me as the, as just such a major point of the book. And I was just, I was just wondering why you feel like that is so important for the world to hear. Because I, I want people to know that. These serpent handlers are really fellow Christians of those who profess Christianity. They're not the freaks or the white trash of Christianity. Yeah, these people are really serious. And and if anything, I thought, you know, here's this poor guy. He dies in the middle of nowhere, West Virginia, and no one's really going to know or care that this man that his he 
felt so strongly about his faith that he was willing to die for it and did. I thought, doggone it, he is not going to die in vain. The world is going to know who Mac Wolford is. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's um, now most, if you read all the 6,000 comments that, on the CNN.com, where most people said, he's nuts, he's, you know, we're glad he's gone, but I thought, well, you know, people can react the way they want, but I do not want him to have died in vain. And, I want people to know his name. And don't, and don't you feel, or do you feel maybe that, um, that people, regardless of their belief, but people who are willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for something they believe in is, is something that we all kind of are attracted to. Yeah, right, right. And that's what really fascinated a lot of people. Yeah. They felt that, um, yeah, they, these people don't know when they go to church on Sunday if they're coming home. Yeah. They might not. So they have to keep really short accounts. Yeah. So um, so in the book, you you cover uh, Mac Wolford and Jamie Coots, who are both um, pastors. But I believe Jamie Coots and Andrew Hamblin, Andrew, who, become, like you said, becomes kind of the center of the story. They, they're kind of the younger generation, right, who are adopting right. um, social media. And maybe tell us a little bit about the, the progression from there to, at one point, um, this reality television series on National Geographic that that occurs. I know. Wasn't that amazing? And and they got a bunch of offers. Some of them were just terrible offers. They were people trying to cheap them out. I think. I mean, National Geographic was probably one of the better ones. I was amazed for how little money people were trying to get them, and they were trying to get them to sign contracts. So I told Andrew, "Don't sign a contract. God's sakes, watch what you sign." Yeah. And I offered to link them up with an agent in LA and the agent was willing to work with them and they would have gotten a better deal than I think than they did. But I don't know, Andrew just didn't follow through. So I was pretty frustrated. <laughs> so how, how did that all um, affect the Andrew and Jamie? Suddenly they're on a 2013, uh, yeah, in 2013, this national geographic channel that's, that's covering them. And this is kind of their, um, what they wanted for, for this serpent handling community was to break out onto the national scene. Yeah, they did. They wanted to spread it. Yeah. So they, they really felt that the journalists were doing them a huge favor mm-hmm. and spreading the word as it were. Um, and then you talk, you talk more about how Andrew uses social media. Like what, what, what was your take on um, social media's effect on this? Because these pictures in the book, I mean, these are very small little, ch- little chapels and, beautiful like wooded yeah. areas and stuff what is what was overall the social the impact of social media on these small communities was it well good? Uh, depends i mean i thought it was andrew got five thousand friends on facebook very fast yeah and the older serpent handlers really looked down on the whole social media thing and just thought that the the younger guys were puffing themselves up and they shouldn't be doing that and sadly, I mean, you know, in a way, their predictions came true. I mean, mm. Andrew ends up in his marriage and family just crater, and he ends up in jail, in fact. Jamie ends up dead, and both of these men had these huge Facebook accounts. And I mean, I can understand why some of the other guys would say, you know what, they didn't believe, um, you know, we didn't believe in this stuff, and we're still alive. And here are these guys like Icarus, I mean, they fly as high as they can toward the sun and they get burned. Mm. So I know some of the older ones just felt like, 
you know, we don't allow media in. Every time we allow media in, it's, it's never good. Whatever happens is not good for us. And so that's why it's, I, I was just so fortunate to get there when there were enough churches and places open to being talked to. But only Jamie's and Andrew's place was the one where, where I could really take much in the way of photos. And a little bit with it. There's another one in Tennessee. I took a few photos, but really nothing inside the church. But, yeah, they just felt like every time the media shows up, it's just, um, it just doesn't end up well for us. Mm. So describe for someone who, who isn't familiar with these serpent handling communities what, what these services are like. I mean, um, they're, they're basically just holding the snakes throughout the, the sermon, but there's also, you know, what people familiar with the Pentecostal service might be like, you know, um, worship and music and... Um, right. It, I mean, it's usually... Usually it's a full hour of, of music, worship. Mm-hmm. And then it, it kind of alternates between preaching and worship, and then people come up to be prayed over and prayed over for healing, and they go on for about five hours. You think, how can that be? But they do. Every Sunday? This, um, typically. Wow. It, it's pretty far. They usually start around one and go well till four at least. I mean, the the five hour ones were like New Year's Eve, where we walked in at seven, and I mean they were still going till one thirty in the morning. And I'm not too sure how they did it, but um, yeah, this. But one thing where the younger younger people different from the elders is the elders wait till they felt the anointing of God to pick up those snakes. So the younger ones, within a half an hour into the service, they were circling the snake boxes and calling out the snakes, and um, and the snakes would come in and out during the service. I mean, they made they might go out for a few minutes, come back, go into the boxes, and there'd be some preaching, then some getting prayed over, and then whoop, out. Then the worship music would kind of start up again, and out would come the snakes. And but even the snakes weren't always out, but at least I tended to come during the high traffic times when there were like New Year's Eve or during the homecomings, where I knew there might be a bit more fireworks. So at a typical service, there, were, there weren't always snakes being taken out. In fact, some churches made a real point of saying, "Look." You know, snakes aren't everything that we're all about. We, we are, you know, sometimes we'll just have a quiet service and just preach the gospel. And that's what we're about more than those darn snakes. Yeah, it's not like on the on the front door. Of, I mean, the, you have pictures in the book of these churches, and it's not like on the front door it says, handling snakes today, you know, on on the outside. Um, and, and it's funny that that seems to be in contradiction to... Maybe how Andrew handled it. I mean, Andrew was very public about um, the fact that they were handling serpents. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And which is why he was the one who got arrested by the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency. They saw him on this reality show and his 53 snakes, and they were like, we're done. But they made a really stupid mistake. They they went into the church and carved out snakes. And Constitution, you cannot, you're not supposed to go on a church property to take anything and so the, every lawyer in town was about ready to jump on them and that's why the grand jury let andrew off because the police were stupid they didn't do this real well wow and and you mentioned too that uh the law in some places or i I'm, i don't know maybe it's everywhere is that um there you're not actually allowed to handle snakes in a religious service or was that just in one state right. or? yeah that's really true and, and i mean it's totally unconstitutional that there's that's the law in kentucky and no one enforces it because they know it's unconstitutional. You cannot just single out a religious service. Either no one can handle snakes, period. I mean, but you can't go after one entity like that. I mean, you, so Tennessee's law is a bit wilder. You just can't have wildlife 
period, unless you have a license, and to get a license it's nearly impossible. They get, you have to have 24-hour monitoring of the said wildlife. and So actually, they were quite nasty in Tennessee. I mean, they would go, and, and I mean, this one lawyer who was going after them would tell me that they would just go, if someone had a deer in their backyard, they'd go kill it. Wow. I mean, anytime they found anybody with wildlife. So obviously, they were just going nutto over Andrew having all the, these 53 native species snakes. Why, why, why was that? Why was it that they would make a law against handling snakes? Was, was well, they, it they did the this feet? all, a lot of them, those laws were in the 40s, oh, 30s, okay. 40s, and 50s, because so many people were taking up serpent handling, a lot of people were dying. Mm. And um, they, people weren't real wise back then, and so like six, let me think, was it six states or five states? I'm just trying to remember. A bunch of them passed laws against snake handling. Mm. But Again, it's really it's it's not really honored because the local police just figure like these are cons- one they're consenting adults. Yeah, no one under eighteen is doing this. Number two, uh, we got bigger and better things to fry. I mean, if they want to do that, fine. They're not a public nuisance. They're in the middle of nowhere. You've got to go down dirt roads. I mean, I mean, one thing about even Andrew's place lost a couple hundred feet. You had to go up this dirt road. But he, his church is closer to an interstate than most are. I mean, some of these places, I mean, you've got to go way out, and the Tulis are they're quite far from an interstate. So Andy was, was, he was much, he was very accessible, and it was easy for camera crews to get there, and they did. Wow. Wait, so what, what, man, I have so many questions for you, but what, I guess, I guess one in general is just, um, as you were going through, throughout this this social media um tension do you do you feel like do you feel like social media in general is is positive for <laughs> religious groups um is it is it positive um well i it, well sure, sure absolutely i mean yeah it can be used very well yeah and so i have no beef against social media i just thought it was fascinating the century old custom where everything is so old, kind of in a way, stuck back in 1910. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're bringing Facebook into it. So you've got all these photos and all these videos. I mean, if you go on Facebook right now and you put a search out for serpent handlers, you'll find a serpent handling group. Yeah. And you can look at all their snake boxes and the guy who sells mice for because you got to feed the snakes something. And this guy sells, like, you know, mics in bulk. Wow. I mean, you got to think of that kind of stuff. That's right. That's it's kind of a nasty deal for the mice. So, but he, um, so I mean, you see these ads, you think, I can't believe this is another world. It's like, no kidding. So, yep. yeah, have at it. Just look at them in Facebook. They're there. Yeah, I, I, we've been. I've been talking a lot with some friends about how you know social media in some ways just exposes everything, and it, and it kind of demystifies a lot of these different. I'm mean, just like religious groups or just even opinions or, or different people, even celebrities, it kind of exposes them in a good way and, and allows um, lots of other people to weigh in and, and be part of those conversations around, around these things. I mean, I, it, I do feel like, you know, in my own personal experience, I was attracted as a, especially in high school and college to people who were willing to die for some conviction. In some ways I feel like I w- I was looking for something to, uh, to give my life to that I could commit myself to. Right, right, and 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 I think that a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, clung on to this is this really means something. This is a real truth mm. of the Bible that very few people in the country are actually following, and I'm going to have something to do with keeping it going. We'll we'll keep it going here in Appalachia. So there, there were, I I think part of the problem I saw is that 
Yes, people were really zealous for following, um, you know, as much of the, of the gospel as they could. But as one friend of mine said, well, they, they, some had real train wreck lives. And most people were, I mean, just about everybody was on their second, third, fourth marriage. And, and like what, what happened to Andrew at the end of the book, you know, he, he just kind of walked away from his six kids and started another family. Mm-hmm. And his six kids have really never got, I mean, the older ones have never gotten over it. Man. I mean, for, thank God the mother remarried and ha- met a really nice guy, but that's kind of the way it's done over there. And so half the time I gave up figure, trying to figure out who people were. So many of them had different last names. I mean, two or three last names removed from what they were born. I, I thought, okay, was this the second marriage or third marriage? Or, I mean, where did they get that name from? Yeah. I mean, no, no, the people related to each other, no one has the same names. So when, so you were following a lot, a lot of the book is you following these discussions and different arguments and the, the kind of the drama that happens on Facebook. How was, how was following all of that? that? I mean, it sounds like that would have been really, really difficult to follow. Like you said, all these different people in these different uh, discussion threads throughout Facebook. It was, it, it was difficult. And I always had to be you know, checking them almost every day and, and, but I couldn't do it all the time. Mm-hmm. So fortunately I had a handful of friends who, we're also on it, and we're also being, I mean, they weren't part of the Serpent Handler community, but they would say, hey, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? And between, a, with the help of some of these people, that's how I found out about a lot of stuff. Thank God I had people who were trolling Facebook when I, when I wasn't, and it wasn't an official thing. I wasn't paying anybody to help me research this. I just, people in different time zones, and they were kind of watching what was going on as well. And then they would say, hey, um, People watching this, they're discussing this for the next couple hours, so I cut and paste the discussion. Because everything fades from Facebook after a while. Yeah. In other words, things don't just stay there. They do fade away. And so you have to, yeah, I mean, you've got to cut and paste and save these conversations. Yeah, and what did what'd you, what'd you feel like the, um, these Facebook conversations really added to, like, wh- how different would this book have been uh, without adding that kind of, that element of these different conversations unfolding on Facebook? It would have been impossible. I couldn't have done it. Yeah. I mean, I could not have gotten all that interview time. And, and plus, people said stuff on Facebook. They said stuff on Facebook that no one else would. <laughs> they would never say in an interview. Because <laughs> yeah. when I would actually walk up and interview them, everybody would shut up. A boy on Facebook, but, 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 and then they knew by friending me. I mean, I was listening to all they were saying, but they didn't, and in fact, I mean, it didn't really occur to them that, you know, what you say, guys, is public record. Mm. Are you, you know, this stuff isn't going to fade away. You might not want to, you might not want to say this. But they were, oh, you wouldn't believe all this stuff that they put on there. It was, it was absolutely amazing. And, and legally, you know, once it's out on Facebook, it's counted as social media, social and media. Yeah. And they'll, they're, they're, they, you can't put that, a genie, that genie back in the bottle. Yeah. And because I knew some people were very unhappy when they finally figured it, finally dawned on them that I was doing a book on all this. <laughs> of course, I I'd mentioned this many times. But, yeah. But I, I just said, and all of a sudden they realized some of the stuff that they put on Facebook. And I mean, near the end, you see some of the really R-rated stuff they were putting up there. Mm-hmm. And and they're like, folks, you do know, um, you, might, you, you might as well just brought, put this on a poster by your front door. Because <laughs> it's out there. And I mean, some, I think one person had said, well, you know, we'll sue you. And I was like, no, you won't. You put it on Facebook. You know, you should have never done that. 
And because I, I saved so many of your conversations, because, boy, if you don't save it right away, it disappears into the bowels of Facebook. And it's very, you know, if you've ever tried to track a conversation that's two or three days old on Facebook, it's almost impossible. It's just gone through a lot of permutations. Do you, do you feel like, I remember uh, in a previous episode, we were, we were talking about how um, how seriously the government is taking our president's uh, tweets and how it's all getting archived in the, um, I think, like the National Museum or some type of government place. And um, uh, my friend my friend joked that that uh, one day someone will get a PhD just on like three years of, of, <laughs> of presidential tweets and stuff. Like, do, oh, do, yeah. do you feel like that's that? Uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm way out of my depth here, but do you feel like this kind of thing will be, will be, uh, we'll see more of it, more of this kind oh. of like reporting where we're just taking stuff from social media and kind of, well, just so people need to know that you can't and, and yeah, you're halfway wise, you just really watch what gets put on social media. I mean, I know some people, they won't even put their kids' faces on their Facebook page. Yeah. I don't, I don't go that far, and because it would be a really boring Facebook page without me <laughs> and my daughter appearing on it yeah. every, every so often. Yeah. But I watch what I say, because I feel like if it can't be used against you, it will. Totally. So yeah, you like you just have to watch it. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, and so what? So you know, reporting on religious conversations and religious, um, like doing religious reporting in America over the last um, over the last forty years, or was it the four, fourteen years? Uh, like 14. How, yeah, fourteen. So, like, what what have you seen? I was interested to ask you what you see as you know a trend in the national conversation or just people in general. Um, the, you know, I feel like a lot of us religious people, I mean, I know in the Catholic Church, we get together and make uh, predictions or talk about um, how open or not open to religious beliefs or spirituality that, that people seem to be. What, what's kind of been your take over the last 15 years on the religious conversation or how open people are um, to those types of conversations? Well, I mean, I, I think people are very open to uh, all sorts of you know, religion items. The one thing that's kind of changed is there's a lot more of unaffiliated people, what we call the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Yeah. There's more people who don't really belong to anything. So that's what's changed quite a bit. If, if the, anything has, that has. And and also, two people have just gotten so much more, um, not embattled, but um, it's, just, it's a lot nastier what goes out and comes in. The, the dialogue is not kind. Mm. It's, it is still a wild west out there. So what, what would be your advice for people who want to engage maybe the world in conversation or dialogue around maybe Christianity or religion, um, especially in a world of social media? Well, I mean, there's, look at the blogs that are already out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of them. Pateos has a lot. I write for a blog called GetReligion.org, which is, it critiques the job that media are doing on religion. And so feel feel free to take a look at it. Just, yeah, I'll link get to religious. it. Yeah, it, it and if you, especially if you're interested in the intersection of media and religion. Awesome. Um, so another question I wanted to ask you is uh, just what what is your? You said at the Southeast Journalism Conference, I was doing some some research, and you um, you had this quote here. 
that if you if you're okay with me just kind of reading that you were talking about to journalists uh to not be afraid to get out of the box and report on something totally new but you also said that it's not the most talented that gets the job done but it's the one that's the most persistent and curious persistent. And, and daring yeah exactly could you talk a little bit about that persistent well sometimes you just have to keep on knocking and knocking and knocking and sometimes i've just gotten articles just because i hung out and i was physically there when it when it happened and sometimes you just have to you just have to be present and, and and wait and wait and wait people out. People might say no, but no's are never final, or all no's are not final. So you just have to keep on asking and asking and asking until people, you know, their their walls start crumbling down. But anyway, the, religion is to me more interesting than ever. It's just there's just so much mixture of it with politics these days too. That there isn't always. Yeah, and, I, and there's this there's a strange um, tension sometimes between science and religion. A lot of times, I feel like that gets falsely um, portrayed as popular opinion that that religious people are are unrational and um, and that faith is unscientific, and that science is the only rational kind of stance to take. Well, I of course, obviously, I don't believe that. I yeah. I don't think. Um, by the way, I think I'm only good for another about five minutes. Okay. Um, but but no, obviously I don't think it's irrational, and I think it's about um, it's just one of I call it the queen of beats because I love reporting on it, and I, I love reporting on these people. I thought they were quite um, they were quite fetching, and the University of Tennessee Press, and they're the ones who put out the book. They 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 were quite pleased with how many people were buying the book even before it was out. So it got it got some. I, I I don't know the sales figures yet. I I really need to get back to them and ask them. But they were they put it at the front of their catalog. They really felt it was going to you know going to sell. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's I I have found that myself too. That that people are very open open to uh, the religious dialogue. Well, thank you so much. So tell people um we can get the you can get the book on Amazon. But where else can they find more of your work and and find the things that you're covering? Oh, okay. You, the best place to see my work on an ongoing basis, first of all, yeah, the book is at University of Tennessee Press and Amazon. You can look at my Julia at Dean. My last name is spelled D-U-I-N. And then put, you can have Serpents or um, Serpent Handler, and that's where you'll get... Uh, that's where you'll get the URL of the book. I also write three times a week for this GetReligion.org. And in fact, I have something up... I think was it... Oh, good heavens. It was yesterday, Wednesday. And I, in fact, I, I still have to write tonight's, col- tonight's column for tomorrow. Okay, well, so, I'll let you, well, I'll let you yeah, go and get to yeah. that. <laughs> but do we, do we get religion.org? Because that stuff, again, it's fresh three times a week. But I hope people do read the book. I hope they they may not get to that part of Appalachia, but at least they will have a better opinion of people who have those beliefs and that, that there's something very winsome about these folks and they're not crazy yeah it's a fantastic book and i think what what else is you do a great job of i mean it's an adventure you're following along with your story of of covering um um, their story and so it's it's fantastically written so thank you so much for the book well you're welcome i also have a personal blog at juliadean.com but i don't do it as much as i should be so like thank you anyway um for giving me time on your show yeah and I, i hope people i get interested in this whole topic yeah well thank you so much julia and and um and take care and i'll be talking to you soon okay you too all right bye 
Bye-bye.